This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everyone, how are you doing? Welcome to a bonus Monday episode of Talk of Buffalo Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. And why am I doing a bonus episode on a random Monday? Well, two reasons. Number one, quite frankly, because I feel like it. <laughs> That's it. I feel like doing a bonus episode today. You know, I've been telling people for at least a couple of weeks now, subscribe to this podcast for many reasons. One of them, and maybe the biggest reason is that when you subscribe, especially on Apple, by the way, new episodes automatically are going to get sent to your phone or your laptop, your iPad, whatever it is that you choose to listen to podcast on automatically every time a new episode um, comes out. So you don't need to hunt for us. We will bring the podcast directly to you. So that's one reason to subscribe because we have Tuesday and Friday episodes. That's every week, but we're having random bonus episodes scattered throughout the month. Whenever I feel there's a guest worthy of having an extra episode or content, the opportunity to do something more, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be doing it a lot. So again, subscribe. And by the way, we still got that contest going on over on my Twitter account right now. And this is something for subscribers only. You can win yourself a free large pizza and 20 wings, whatever flavor you want to get from our friends over at Macy's Place Pizzeria. Absolutely elite wings, elite pizza. Some of the best, not just in Western New York, some of the best that I've ever had in my entire life anywhere. And everybody knows how good they are. Again, all you have to do is go on my Twitter page. It's at Pat Moran tweets. And there's a tweet pin right at the very top. All you got to do is retweet that out. Reply with a screenshot to prove that you're subscribed to this podcast. And that's it. We're going to be drawing the winner pretty soon. In fact, you know what? We're going to draw the winner at the end of this week. We'll announce it on Friday's episode. And we're going to be doing a lot more promotional giveaways involving this podcast in the weeks to come, whether it's more food, merchandise, all kinds of stuff like that. So stay tuned with that. So the reason, again, number one is I feel like having another episode. Here's the other reason too. I want to spend some time today talking the NFL and the Buffalo Bills, not just the Bills, the NFL, because there were a couple trades involving Miami draft trades that I really want to get into. And quite frankly, if I don't do it today, not really going to have an opportunity for the rest of the week because on Tuesday's episode tomorrow, I got Lance Lazowski from the Buffalo News, love Lance, and we're going to be talking plenty of Buffalo Sabres. Then on Wednesday, another bonus episode's coming. Every Wednesday between now and the NFL draft, we're doing a Buffalo Bills mock draft. We did version one last week. Version two is coming up on Wednesday. I'm going to have Aaron Quinn back with me from cover one, and we'll see what's changed. From week one, that'll be a fun exercise. 
And then on Friday's show, I have Casual Friday with my boy Del Reed. We talk 26 shirts, little bills and sabers, but a lot more about Buffalo. And we have some fun segments, kind of, again, casual, kick back and relax. That's my Friday shows with Del. So today is a good opportunity to really focus on the Buffalo Bills and the NFL. So on that note, All right, I am joined right now by Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings, a guy who I, honest to God, consider a pillar of positivity in the Buffalo Bills podcasting and blogging community. One of my favorite guys and a damn good writer too, man, and a podcaster. What's going on, Anthony? How you doing? Hey, Pat, it's great to be with you and thank you for the kind words. Oh, no problem, man. And this is the second time I've had you on the show. We, I had you back on in November and I'll tell you, quite frankly, I was sitting around today on a Sunday, and I talked about this a little bit uh, during the opening of the podcast, and I'm like, I'm looking at my schedule for this week, and I, I got a hockey episode coming up on Tuesday with Lance Lazowski, and then on Wednesday, I do a Bill's Mock Draft. It's a weekly thing I've been doing with Aaron Quinn. Then on Friday, I do a Casual Friday show with Del Reed, which is a lot of fun. I love Del, but Del will be the first to tell you. He's not really a Buffalo Bills guy, or you know, he's a fan. But he's not going to break down players and stuff like that. We talk about 26 shirts in the city of Buffalo. We do some fun segments. And I'm like, yo, man, there's been a lot of stuff going on over the last couple of days. And I actually want to talk football today. So I said, I got to do this bonus episode. And few people out there more qualified in that I enjoy listening more when it comes to the Bills and NFL talking, Anthony. So again, great to have you. Buffalo Rumblings, by the way, and we'll talk Bills and NFL in just a minute. But I, I do want to bring this up. Buffalo Rumblings has brought in some good talent recently. Um, since we talked last, which again was back in November, Jay Spence, the King is with Buffalo Rumleys. Now my buddy Joe Miller is with Buffalo Rumleys now. And not only are you guys banging out quality podcasts, which has always been the case, but now you're kind of dabbling in and getting into the video aspect of things as well. You're kind of creating your, uh, a process, I'm sure, but creating a, a presence on YouTube and Periscope and all that. Joe Miller is doing a show on YouTube live every week. Jay Spence is doing one. Those guys do Hump Day Hotline together on Wednesdays. I know Matt Warren's doing a Q&A on there, man. So talk just for a minute or two before we get into football about the process of Buffalo Rumbling starting to get more involved in the video element side of things. Yeah, and Pat, when you take a look at the last couple of years, I mean, really, the podcasting side of things just started with us, I'd say, full bore in like 2019 right, where really the the podcast network started to grow. And the vision of Matt Warren and, and Bruce Nolan was really, you know, having to get into that streaming presence of things on YouTube to be able to reach more fans. Pat, I, I know your son, right, is a high schooler. My kids are younger. Like, if it is not on YouTube, it is not something that they are really consuming, right? So the right. thought of reaching a different demographic of fan, but the first piece that really dropped for us was when Jay Spence came over and he was doing a post-game show each week um, with Mookie Hawkins, which was great after each and every game. He'd do some occasional live streams during the week. Uh, and then Joe Miller came over just uh, in the beginning of March. And as things get going, it's been an area of growth to to reach new people, again, to to add some new shows with Joe and Jay Spence. And it's been a lot of fun so far. I mean, I've jumped on with those guys. I always think... Uh, 
I got more of a face for radio, but uh, it's fun to <laughs> to chat with them. And they do a great job because they're interacting with the fans in real time on the show. And, and I give them a lot of credit because, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. That's not always easy to do, to be taking questions live in the chat and to pull it off as seamlessly as they both do. So we're really happy to have them. And, and obviously, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, uh, you can follow Buffalo Rumblings on Twitter or Facebook and, and you'll get all that information because they're pretty much going each and every day. In a way, is it kind of fun to build something from the ground up from scratch? Now, you know, the podcasting side for Buffalo Rumblings is far more known and far more established. You could take almost any voice off the street, plug them into that network and, you know, it's built itself enough a reputation over time that people are going to check that out. Whereas doing the video side right now, in some ways, at least it's kind of, you're starting from scratch. You know what I mean? That process of it. I, is it kind of fun to to enjoy that? You know what I'm saying? I, I like, I, I want to be careful how I word this because, of course, you'd like to have a channel and then there's 50,000 subscribers within 72 hours, but that's not the way it works. I'm just talking about the process of building something for all you guys collectively. That's kind of got to be exciting, right? Oh, yeah. It's incredibly exciting, but it's also a bit of a slow build also. Sure. And as you go through with it, uh, as you said, right, you can want things to to burst onto the scene as, as much as they can. But as you realize you you have good guests, you do good shows, people will start to find you. It's uh, it's gotten off to a great start. But uh, again, there's a lot that needs to happen organically, too. And even when you talked about the podcast side of things, I mean, really for us, there was a good reputation when you think of Nate and his show for Circling the Wagons. Matt Warren was doing his show. John Boccasino but then we added Nick and Nolan, right? We added Bruce and Nick to the, to right. the channel uh, in the summer of 2019. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just, hey, here are two great personalities with a great show, but it allows us to keep that consistency, really to be doing five, six, seven shows a week. And as you know, Buffalo Bills fans, they really want that content 365 days a year. And if you can't deliver it for them, they'll find it someplace else. And we always say, though, for all of our shows, whether it's on the new YouTube channel or anything we do with the podcast, there might be some people that, hey, I'm, I'm just a fan of the Bruce exclusive and that's what I'm here for. You know, others, they might like my show or they might like Jamie D and Big Newt. You know, it's not that every episode is going to be for everyone, but it's there when you kind of need to get that fixed. Yeah. And time and consistency is what will build the video side of things into the same quality that you have right now going on as well on the audio side. And I, and I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I believe that people like, like people have patterns when it comes to, to listening and people have patterns when it comes to viewing stuff. And when they know consistently that this show is going to be on your channel on this day over time, that's when people start to tune in. And, and like you talked about a slow build, that's the way uh, it goes for sure. Now, again, I want to talk football before I get to the bills. Trades went down on Friday, and I wanted to get your take on this, involving, of course, the Miami Dolphins, who are in the AFC East, a, a divisional rival of the Bills. Let me recap these real quick, then I, I want to get your take on them. So the first big trade was San Francisco. They moved up from 12 to 3 with Miami. So to move up nine spots, they gave up a third. Next, it turns out to be next year, I believe. And two first-rounders, one in 22 and one in 2023. So Miami moves all the way back from three to 12, picks up two more first rounders. So at the time, now they're looking at six first round picks over the next three years. 
But then, and obviously this trade was already contingent on the first one being done. Just moments later, Miami goes up from 12 up to six with Philly and gives back a 2022 first rounder. Again, essentially moving up six spots to and pick uh, 156, which is a fifth rounder as well. So essentially at the end of the day, after the two trades, Miami essentially dropped down three spots from three to six. They ended up picking up a third rounder next year and a first rounder in 2023 for it. It's not, it's not fun. if As a Bills fan, it's never fun to praise Miami for anything, literally. But as a podcaster, as a as a blogger, as a objective Bills analyst right here, like what's your take on that? Because on the surface for me, it looks like a really smart, I don't want to say move, series of moves, like chess moves almost, for Miami to go down from three to six, pick up a third and a first, and they're probably still going to get one of the main guys that they targeted, assuming I don't think quarterback was ever really in play for them at three with the draft. So I don't know. What's your take on this? I feel like Miami did a really good job here. Well, and I thought they did a good job because, again, if they were to look at things and say, okay, for what we're going to pick at three, Right. If they're going to draft a wide receiver, an offensive weapon, traditionally you don't see that taken at three. And there's not necessarily a Calvin Johnson in this draft unless you want to look at someone like a Kyle Pitts and if you think he is truly a, a, a unicorn, right, of the, the phrase that is thrown out there. Um, as much as it's annoying to see the Dolphins stockpile all these picks, I just grow more and more annoyed with the Houston Texans for just how they have enabled so much of this to take place. You just right. look back at it in that Laramie Tunsil trade, which made no sense. And it, uh, you know, you just think back the rivalry with the Texans and the 2019 playoffs, and it just it compounds things to an extent of how they seem to enable this. And now for the Dolphins to sit there at six, again, you think, were they going to take someone like Kyle Pitts at three? Were they going to take one of the great wide receivers? Now someone's probably going to look to trade up to the four spot with Atlanta if they're not going for a quarterback. What the Bengals may do, they could trade back. I mean, you just don't know. So the Dolphins could be in a position where they're getting the number one or two non-quarterback on the board. And it is certainly annoying as a Bills fan because you look at that and you just think, you know, as they had multiple draft picks last year and the stockpile that they have moving forward, with that being said, though, if they do not have the answer at quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, then I don't want to say it's all for naught, but if you don't have the quarterback position figured out, you could have a good defense, you can have some nice playmakers, but it's not going to click to the extent where you can be that contender. And I think we've seen that in years past. If you don't have the quarterback situation figured out, you are not a true Super Bowl contender at this time. And it's going to be interesting to see what he can do in year two and beyond because you know you can't get on his case too early as a rookie for not being fantastic and for having someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick on the, on the roster that can do great things. And we as Bills fans have always adored Fitz and, and what he is. Um, we always talked about having patience for Josh Allen. You have to do the same for Tua Tagovailoa. Can he make that step? Is he going to be the guy? It truly will be an interesting season because now with all of these picks, I think there's going to be less patience to see if he can develop from year two to year three or beyond that if he doesn't take a step this year, uh, I think there will be more chatter of, hey, you have all this draft capital, go up and get another quarterback. 
Man, there's some mornings where you wake up and you're just feeling ready to just pull those covers right back over your head and go back to sleep all day. We've all been there, so no judging, of course. But let's make having the most comfortable sheets the biggest reason why we're doing that. You know what I'm saying? You don't love your sheets? That's all right, because guess what? Brooklinen has you covered. What is Brooklinen, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. They didn't do that, but instead they did even something better. They found Brooklinen, which is the first direct-to-consumer bedding company, and they work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury-level markups. That's the big thing. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit all your needs and all your tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. Man, I'd be lucky to have 15. They got 50,000 and counting. And they're so confident that you're going to love their products. They're going to offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's right. One year money back guaranteed. Unbelievable. And by the way, Brooklyn is so much more than sheets. Man, they got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and so much more. You want in? Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code BUFFALO to get 25 bucks off when you spend 100 bucks or more, plus free shipping. Again, that's brooklinen, B R O O K L I N E N.com, and a promo code BUFFALO to get 25 bucks off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping, brooklinen.com, use promo code BUFFALO at checkout. You bring up a handful of really good points, and I, I want to unpack a couple of these. First and foremost, you bring up the tonsil trade, and my thought when I think of that is this. In, in a way, anyway, you remember back in the day when Dallas traded Herschel Walker to Minnesota and for like a stockpile of picks and players that was like the springboard to really catapult the, the, the Dallas Cowboys turnaround. I'm not saying this is going to be the exact same thing, but essentially trading Tunsil to Houston is a very big reason why Miami's in the position right now that they're in with a lot of these draft picks. I mean, it's a chain of events, but one thing leading to another. And again, now we're looking at present day Miami having two picks in the first round this year, five first rounders over the next three years. They're set up well. So I, that tonsil trade really set them up well. In terms of moving from three to 12 and then back up to six, I completely agree. They, I don't think they, they weren't taking a quarterback. If they wanted one of those three quarterbacks, they would have kept the pick. That's pretty simple said there. You don't really need to break that point down. At six, at least three of these quarterbacks are definitely going in the top five for sure. Maybe even four. They weren't going to take the, the left tackle Sewell because they just took one last year. So I don't think he was in play at three either. So whether it's Pitts, which him and Gusecki together, I mean, that could be downright scary. Or one of these really good receivers, whether it's Chase or Devontae Smith or, or Jalen Waddle, Miami probably worst case is going to get, if, if I just ran off four guys, two of those four are definitely going to be available for sure. So oh, sure. I, I just, I just, I really like, what they did, but to your point, and this is the biggest one, with Tua, I agree 100%. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to the quarterback, and you can look at it one of two ways, Anthony. Number one, 
let's just say we were doing this podcast and let's rewind. Let's go in a time machine right now. And we were talking about the Bills and it was winter slash spring of 2019 after Josh Allen's rookie year right now. And the Bills were in a position where they could have a top three to six pick and you got three, possibly four, even up to five highly touted quarterback prospects. And just like Miami used a top five pick on Miami or on Tua, Buffalo used a top seven pick on Josh Allen a year ago. And Josh Allen, long-winded uh, point here, wasn't very good as rookie year, you know? Had a lot to a lot to learn. And, and we saw a lot of the flaws and the warts in his game as a rookie. So a couple of years ago, we'd be having a conversation right now about if you were the Bills, do, would you trust Josh Allen and keep building around him? Obviously, that turned out to be the right move. Or would you come right back and take another quarterback? I think Miami has that decision to make in a way. But, you know, you, can, you can't rush to a, my point is this. He didn't look great last year, but he is a rookie. He came off a very significant injury. So he didn't really play a full year. Ugh. But, and it's the other side of the, of the fence. I didn't want to ask you about this. If you're not even a good, if you're a decent football team, how many opportunities are you going to have to, to pick in the top five of the draft? Miami's got where they are because they traded Tunsil and they got Houston's first round pick right now. You know what I mean? So if you're not 100% sold on Tua, right now you could take another quarterback and move on after just one year. I mean, it's not unheard of. Arizona did it with Josh Rosen because you're not, again, you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to pick this high without having to give up the farm to move up. Like Miami could just do it right now. So that's the decision that I think they're at. And, I, and I'm pretty confident, Anthony, that making the trade down to six eliminates that. But a lot of pressure, like you said, on two of this year to, to take a, a significant step. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even when you talked about Bills fans, it was a year ago that there was a conversation of what if Josh Allen does not take that step forward? Sure. Right. I mean, obviously he made a step from 2018 to 2019, but there was conversation of, is this his ceiling? Is this as good as Josh Allen is going to be? If he has the same season in 2020 as he had in 2019, do you give him the fifth year extension? And now with Tua, you again, you're in a situation to see what he looks like next year. The one thing that is different from these trades that they have made and stockpiling for these future years, if things do not work out with him in 2021, they have multiple first round picks in 2022 that does put them in a position if they were to look to move up, that it's something could be on the table for them. But it is yeah, good point. It's a it's a bit of a, a hedging the bet. You know, they talk about being committed to him. I mean, you know, if everything that was taking place with Deshaun Watson was not taking place with Deshaun Watson, you know, would they be looking to use their picks to to make that trade. I mean, it's it's going to be a real interesting season to see what happens, not just with the Dolphins because they're in the AFC East, but because of Tua Tagovailoa. I'll tell you quickly with the other teams because they really don't involve the Buffalo Bills or the AFC East that much. I just think it's a fascinating series of trades for all the teams involved because on San Francisco, when they come all the way up from 12 to 3, they give up two future first-round picks. Obviously, they're taking a quarterback either Vance or Fields and early indications from what I read tend to seem that it's leaning towards Vance. But regardless, that's not really that important. They are saying to everybody right now anyway, that they are not going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo this year. I personally do not buy that. They're saying that they're going to redshirt the quarterback. I don't know. It could happen. I just, I don't buy it. Just like a couple of years ago, 
when we were hearing that Josh Rosen was still the guy in Arizona. Obviously, that turned out to not be true. So that's interesting to monitor only because, obviously, despite reports that New England's not going to pursue it, that could change real quickly. And then from Philly's aspect, I thought it was a good move, too, to, to move back because they pick up more picks to build around because they're a mess. They're a disaster right now. Um, I hope they let Jalen Hurts, though, because going down to 12 means you know, they were at six. There was a shot, at least, that they would have got one of those four quarterbacks. But at 12, that's, you know, that's not going to happen. So that'll be an interesting thing for Philly. But again, they, there was no one player at six they were going to get, whether it was Pitts or one of these great receivers or even a left tackle that was going to turn them around. So there's probably the right move for them to uh, stockball picks. Let me throw a name out at you because this is still interesting and fascinating to me and involves the AFC East as far as I'm concerned. And that's Deshaun Watson, bro. I don't think he's ever going to play for Houston again. And I think teams very clearly are, and rightfully so, are scared off right now by all the legal stuff going on. We don't know how that's going to play out. And I've learned, and I'm sure you probably, I don't want to say sure, I'm assuming you agree with this too. I'm not going to convict a dude in the court of public opinion. How many people are coming out and saying things? I think everything should be taken serious. But I do believe in you're guilty until, I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty. I almost said it the wrong way there. But my point is other teams are scared off, but let's just say that this situation, this stuff clears up and it's found, you know, that he didn't do what he's being accused of. There's a lot of teams in, and especially in the AFC East, I think they're still for, well, I don't want to say all of them because I think the Jets are pretty much locked into Zach Wilson at two, but Miami, if they want Deshaun Watson, they got even more ammunition than they had before this past week to go get them. And that's something I don't want to see. And I won't even completely count New England with all the the money and the resources that they've spent to bolster their offense right now. I don't know. What's your, what are your thoughts on Deshaun Watson? Potentially, like I said, this is a really tricky rabbit hole we're going into because of the legal stuff, but I don't think he's going to play for Houston again. And assuming he's not in all kinds of trouble, he's going to play somewhere. I don't know how much of a choice he is going to have. And when you look at the allegations that have been brought up against him, you, as you mentioned, right, innocent until proven guilty. But this is uh, this does not look good in, in any way, shape, or form. Right. right, and this is not the same NFL that you would look at decades ago, where things would just take place. At least during the Goodell era, I don't know if he's going to play in the NFL again. To be quite honest, let alone with the Texans. And when you think again, we're talking about allegations, so it's not jumping to any conclusions. But it is a, a different day and age when you think of. And again, I don't want to go down this whole rabbit hole, but the whole um, Ray Rice situation, which took place. And, and here sure. it is, a caught on video and a two-game suspension and just the the well-deserved outrage of what the hell is going on here. This is this is something, if you don't take this seriously, right? You talk about a, a two-game suspension, which is half of what happens for a, you know, a second offense for, you know, using marijuana or a controlled substance or something along those lines. Um, I am, I am just really curious to see what takes place. I mean, it went from early on of, I don't want him anywhere in the AFC East to as this is unraveled. It's just, it's just a sad story. And however it turns out, it's a sad story. And it's just, um, goes way beyond football. Yes. Way beyond to, football. To say the least. Yeah, for sure. With the Jets, I mentioned Zach Wilson. That, that is going to mean Sam Darnold's probably, not probably, if they're going to take Zach Wilson's Sam Darnold's going somewhere. That could be interesting too. 
I could see Carolina. I could see Frisco. Because, again, I don't buy Frisco <laughs> keeping uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Lot, lots of uh, potential teams. So this division, I'll tell you what, if nothing else, the AFC East is exciting right now because there's big moves going on. Miami just made some big moves. The Jets have added some good talent. They're probably going to take Zach Wilson with that second pick. New England has added a, a crap load of pieces. But at the end of the day, the biggest advantage that the Buffalo Bills have right now isn't just from 1 to 53 on the roster. It's that every team right now has significant questions at quarterback with the exception of the Buffalo Bills. You know what I'm saying? The Bills, Josh Allen being without question, not just he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and certainly the best quarterback in the AFC East. To me, when I look at these teams, four teams right now, and I'm sure you agree with this, I'm assuming, the biggest advantage, the single biggest advantage the Bills have isn't defense, isn't coaching, isn't anything else more so than, than the quarterback position, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, as you were talking about all of that, Pat, it brought me back, and I, I know you're you're tight with Tyler Dunn, and I've been listening to his podcast, and Jim Monos being on that pod just brings such a perspective. And, and he sure, says time it. and time again, figure out the quarterback, that is all that matters. Nothing else matters if you don't have the quarterback figured out. And right now the Bills are the team in the AFC East that has the quarterback figured out, uh, at least with the Jets, right? You assume Zach Wilson is their guy, but have to see him play an NFL game before anybody is uh, anointed to a Tagovailoa we've talked about at length. And, and the most interesting thing to me is, as much as I'm sick of talking about the Patriots and even, you know, there's been a lot of talk about all the changes and signings that the Patriots have made, but I am really curious to see what will take place for them at quarterback because Belichick is at that stage of just, he can't coach forever. You've got Cam Newton back, which I can understand based on the contract is some sort of a bridge, but where they're picking at 15, are they just kind of stuck at this point. You've seen trades take place for Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. I'm not saying those are the guys that they would want, but as different moves have gone on throughout the league, they're still sitting there at 15. And I don't think Mac Jones from Alabama gets to 15. I don't think no. that happens at all. So it will be, you know, they've spent a lot of money this offseason. They've gotten different weapons, the tight ends. They've made moves at wide receiver. But if they don't have the quarterback position figured out, is it really going to make a difference for them? <laughs> You're preaching to the choir on all accounts there. I don't look, Bill Belichick's 69 years old, and I've said this a couple times on the podcast recently. New England was lousy last year. The Bills swept them. The Bills embarrassed them in their home stadium just a couple days after Christmas on Monday night football. Bill Belichick is 69. He's regarded as the greatest coach ever. He had to sit there and watch Tom Brady win a Super Bowl in his first year with another team. There was always going to be zero chance that New England was just going to lay down. I, I kind of feel in some ways they almost laid down a little bit in 2019. That was never going to happen this offseason. And they've added a lot of talent, but it doesn't mean anything if Camp Newton's throwing the football because I think Cam is, to me, the worst passer of the football in the entire NFL, by far of any starter right now, and probably worse than a lot of backups when it comes to actually throwing the football. I watch a lot of Patriot games, and he's not good at throwing the football. And I don't, is he going to get better with age? I, I mean, I don't think he's going to get better. So I don't buy for two split seconds right now that New England, no matter what they say right now in March, 
that Cam Newton on week one is going to be that QB1. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, Sam Darnold would be a choice under certain circumstances, but they're not gonna, the Jets aren't going to be stupid enough to trade within their own division. Uh, Deshaun Watson obviously was in play, but I agree with what you said. I don't, that's not happening now. I, I keep coming back to Jimmy Garoppolo before the trades last week. I thought that could happen. And for the record, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's a world beater at quarterback by any means. I kind of feel like he's the reason why San Francisco lost at Super Bowl a couple of years ago, to be honest with you. But compared to Cam Newton, I said this on my show last week, he's Johnny Unitas when he comes to throwing the football compared to Cam Newton. So yeah, man, New England is going to be another team to really keep your eyes on over the next uh, next handful of weeks or maybe even a handful of months with the draft. But again, if I feel like they're kind of built to challenge Buffalo right now. And even if they did get a rookie quarterback, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's the play. I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, but that Cam Newton contract, that's a farce. Basically, he's getting 4 or $5 million guaranteed, and the rest are incentives for like winning MVP, making the playoffs, being, being in the Pro Bowl, stuff like that. So they're not contractually or financially obligated to him by any means. Anyway, let's talk bills. I want to get, first, let me get your overall take right now, and then we'll just throw this all in one big blanket. Like, what have you, do you like what the bills have done this offseason? And is it kind of like, what you expect. And then after that, we'll kind of get into a, a couple of the specific moves. But generally speaking right now, like, are you pleased with this offseason? Is it kind of going the way you thought it would? Well, it definitely isn't going the way that I thought it would. Because as I looked at the unrestricted free agents that they had, I thought for sure Matt Milano was gone. I thought John Feliciano would be back. And Daryl Williams, I wasn't all that confident, right? Because you're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, there has been no news on him once he hits free agency, the Bills just don't have the capital to get in any sort of a bidding war. And you think back to that that stretch when Milano signed first, which was a, a surprise to everyone, because you think of Brandon Bean's comments of saying he's earned the right to test free agency, and immediately you're thinking he's going to hit the open market, the number's going to be too large. As much as everyone would like to see him come back, probably not going to happen. Then Williams comes two days later. Then shortly thereafter, Feliciano, who again, we all thought would have been the first to re-sign. He made some comments on Tim Graham and Friends podcast saying, you know, ah, th- this is where I want to be. And it seemed like it was a no-brainer. But then as these other moves were taking place, I thought he then would have been gone. And then all of a sudden, Feliciano comes back on this team-friendly deal. So that all surprised me. I say that I am pleasantly surprised with it because if Milano left, you weren't getting someone to do what he does in free agency for what they would have been able to pay or who was out on the market. I didn't see that happening. And then you look at the two guys on the offensive line, and I know fans will talk about, well, the, the line was good last year in pass protection, but not in the run game, but was it the scheme or was it the backs? But to have those five starters coming back this year, Josh Allen is your franchise quarterback, and if they can continue to do a good job of keeping him clean in the pocket and keeping some of that consistency, and we know that Allen is tight with Feliciano, then I was, I was like I said, pleasantly surprised with it because now the Bills can go into the draft or the remaining stages of free agency, and heck, you can even add Levi Wallace coming back. Are, are there areas where they can upgrade? Of course, but there are no ridiculously glaring holes as if uh, Matt Milano was gone and you're thinking, well, 
they definitely have to get a linebacker at pick 30 or they're absolutely screwed. And to think, here we are a month out from the draft and they've got, what, 21 out of 22 starters back? John Brown being the only one that is not back, but you still have Gabe Davis and you get Emmanuel Sanders. Like, you know, it's okay to say, you know, they're they're looking to run it back because they're not this ancient team. You've got a lot of young players whose arrow should be pointing up still in Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis. There's a lot of young talent on this team with a good mix of proven veterans. So yeah, it's been a pretty good offseason for the Bills, even though re-signing your own guys isn't as sexy and exciting as you know what some other teams are doing out there, making some bigger splashes. But yeah, I'm pretty good with it. But how about you? What did you think? Well, <laughs> you said you were surprised that the Bills re-signed Milano, Williams, and Feliciano. Were you shocked? That the Bills re-signed Milano, Williams, and Feliciano with none of them even spending a single day on the open market. That they got all three deals done before free agency, before the tampering period even started. To me, that was the most shocking part. I thought maybe one or two of those guys might go out and test the market and see that maybe the grass wasn't quite greener when it came to contracts and the Bills would offer something comparable and that would ultimately bring them back. But I, I would say I was stunned, especially at Milano. But all three, generally speaking, I was stunned that all three of them came back without even testing one day on the open market. Doesn't that shock you a little bit? I did not see that coming at all. Well, it it shocked me the most with Milano. So Feliciano's comments made that one easy to understand. Sure. I agree with that. You take a look at Daryl Williams, right? Daryl Williams, who was a late signing in 2020, one year, $2.25 million contract at this phase in his career where he'd been jerked around a little bit in Carolina playing four different positions on the line to have a situation and say, I know I can be successful here. Maybe I could get some more money, but I can trust these coaches and this regime. So that I understood. Milano is different. And Milano is different because, right, you consider him one of the most valuable pieces on the team. You never hear him interviewed. Right? There's never Matt Milano sessions or press conferences with the media where you really get to hear from him and get an idea of what he's about. I mean, sh- sure, after he signed the contract, he did. But before that, just a, a quiet leader on the team. So that had to be this part. Oh, and he switched agents too. I can't remember the switch that he made, right? But coming into the draft, a fifth round pick was with, I think, a lesser-known agency. Then he ended up going with with one of the bigger names. And you just look at it and say to yourself, okay, he's gearing up to get paid. And that was the one that was most surprising to me. Because again, not that four years, $44 million is anything to shake a stick at, but if you're talking about the opportunity to sign one big contract, would he have at least wanted to test the market? But I think, again, it's a testament to being to McDermott, to the team, that he did want to be here and you know, maybe gave a little bit of a haircut, but here he is back. But that was the most surprising one to me. All right, folks, you've heard us talking about this before, and we're back to talk to you about hosting your own podcast here at Blue Wire, and there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. 
also was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art. You'll receive Q&As from Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And here's the best part. You could get all this for just 15 bucks a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to me talk about the bills and the savers, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. Check out the description box for this episode to find more. But again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. Look, man, I, I almost to a fault go out of my way to not praise the bills too much because I don't know why it shouldn't bother me, but I hate when people consider me a homer because I'm not, I try to be, I mean, I am, if you look, if you, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, nobody will ever accuse me of being a homer the way I hit on that team. But when it comes to the bills, I give it what, what they deserve. And right now they deserve a lot of, a lot of praise. They're good moves, man. I agree with you hundred percent about Milano and you don't need to be Eric Turner or, or Bruce Nolan or any of these guys out there that you know, Greg Thompson that just have this abundance of football knowledge. You don't need to have that to come to the conclusion that the Buffalo Bills defense was noticeably better when Matt Milano was on the field than when he wasn't. That's very plain to see for anybody. I love the move, man. And Darrell Williams, I'm a fan of too. You know, I'm a fan of Darrell Williams if for no other reason than I like the fact that he came to Buffalo on a prove-it deal and improved it. I think him getting rewarded not only helps the football team and keeps that offensive line together, but I also think it sends a good message to the locker room and the prospective free agents out there. A lot of these guys who will hit on a few in just a minute there were signing these one-year essential prove-it deals that if you come to Buffalo and you play well, this is an organization that's going to reward you. And furthermore, I mean, Anthony, you've been a Bills fan for a while. Look back at their string of right tackles before Darrell Williams. When's the last time this team had a really good right tackle? One Jordan Mills, one Seantro Henderson, and one Eric Pears or, or Langston Walker or Kirk Chambers or Mansfield Rotto. I mean, we could keep going back all the way. You'd have to go back to like Glenn Parker or something crazy like that before you could find a good, consistent Bills right tackle. So I really like the moves. I didn't love... If I'm being honest here, I didn't love John Feliciano's resigning. I, I kind of feel like I would have liked to have maybe seen what was out there and ultimately maybe he comes back. That's just me being, I mean, I'm being a little bit nitpicky because I don't hate the move, but it's all right. And the Levi Wallace one, that's an under, under the radar move too. They're, they're, I think they, I don't know if they, I don't want to say they struck out in free agency when it came to corners because for all we know, they didn't even target one. Maybe their plan all along is to focus on the draft and, and draft a guy, but you could do worse than Levi Wallace. I, I've said this a few times recently. If Levi Wallace is like the floor for that CB2, that's not that bad. You know, you got a nice competition. If nothing else, if nothing changes between now and training camp, you're probably looking at a nice battle between Wallace and Dane Jackson. And I like that. I still think that they're going to do something else there. And it's probably at this point, it's looking like that'll be, you know, somewhere relatively early in the draft, I think. 
I like the moves. There's just not, there's not a lot to to not like right now. Now let's do a little in and out, okay? Because there's a lot of moves, but whether they're impactful or not, we'll see. So in Emmanuel Sanders out, John Brown. In Mitch Trubisky out, Matt Barkley. These are all like player for player positional swaps. Right. In Matt Breda or Matt Breda out, TJ Yeldon. In Jacob Hollister out, Tyler Croft. Uh, in FA Obata out, Quinton Jefferson. In Brandon Powell out, Andre Roberts. I'm not going to mention the punters because frankly, I really don't care about the punters. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest with you, but those guys that you run off, do, do any of them stick out to you? And I have a hard time. And again, I'm being completely honest here. I have a hard time saying any of the guys who are incoming is a downgrade over any of the guys that are outgoing. You know, what do you see when you look at it? Is there any of those that kind of stick out to you? You know, the one, if I'm going to be nitpicking, is the loss of Andre Roberts. But there is the Isaiah McKenzie factor there and what the team will be doing at kick returner. I liked Roberts. I thought he was a couple of fumbles, but really for the most part made the right decision more times than, than not, right? A couple of instances that stood out, but had that ability to be a dynamic kick returner and punt returner for the Bills that was shorthanded and you didn't have to worry about back there. Other than that, there's not a whole lot that I can look at and say where it was amiss. I love John Brown as much as anyone, especially what he did in the 2019 season. I thought he was huge in helping Josh Allen take a big step, right? And being that trusted receiver for him, I was more hopeful that there would be some kind of a restructure. That was me definitely being more of a fan than looking at things and saying, listen, we can get out of this. We can bring in Emmanuel Sanders. That is someone that Brandon Bean, now it's the third time that he's tried to get Sanders. The first time was at the trade deadline when he left the Broncos to go to the 49ers. They were actually having conversations with him uh, last year, right before free agency, when all of a sudden the Stefan Diggs trade went down. So things did not work out with Sanders then. And now third time is the charm. So as you mentioned before, I'm not Bruce Nolan or Greg Thompson or Joe Marino to be able to look at things and say, here's the nuances and differences between someone like John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders and what he brings to the table. Um, at worst, though, it's a wash. I was surprised to learn, and now I understand why I didn't at the moment. The John Brown thing surprised me a little bit. I was surprised to learn but, but until we realized that that wasn't really, I thought it was purely financial. I thought John Brown's contract was too much. The cap hit was too much and that they got rid of him and Emmanuel Sanders would be a cheaper option. Turns out from what we're reading and hearing from some of the guys that you mentioned and many others that Emmanuel Sanders is more of a football move. They, they like his fit in this offense. He's an elite route runner, and they feel that football-wise that he was a little bit of a, a better fit than John Brown with respect to him. We, I hope, and I'm sure every Bills fan hopes, that we never have to find this out. But Mitch Trubisky over Matt Barkley, that's a... That's a significant upgrade, and we're not going to sit here and compare Mitch Trubinsky. Mitch Trubinsky is a low-tier NFL starter right now, and probably an upper-tier backup. But if something were to happen to Josh Allen for a prolonged period of time, I felt that way last year, and I would feel that way this year if this move didn't happen. That's a wrap. You're not going anywhere with Matt Barkley as your quarterback, and I like Matt Barkley. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Like, you just credited John Brown for 
having a lot to do with Josh Allen's on-field development in 2019. I think Matt Barkley had a lot to do with Josh Allen's off-field or, or development on the field because a lot of the stuff off the field, being in the quarterback room, he's a great mentor, friend. So I think he was a very positive influence on Josh Allen big time, but that's a big upgrade. Matt Breida is the one signing to me that intrigues me because <laughs> there's a lot of people who want the Bills to take a running back at 30, and that's certainly not off the table, but I think it's almost off the table now with Matt Breida. I don't know, because, and then I'll get your thoughts on him. <laughs> He's a good player. He's fast. We all know that, but you know what? 32, 31 other teams in the NFL know just how fast he is, including two teams that he used to play for, and he sat around for a while with very little interest. And I know Joe Marino said the same thing about Darrell Williams a year ago. Darrell Williams went unsigned for 14 days in the free agency before the Bills finally signed him. I don't know. Do you think Matt Breida is going to have anything to do with the Bills possibly not taking a running back at 30? Or do you think that maybe the Bills, even if they didn't sign Matt Breida, that they weren't going to take one anyway? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Here is my take. If they are truly entertaining a running back at 30, the signing of Matt Breida is not changing that, right? A one-year vet minimum contract. He is a a high upside, low risk opportunity that you can bring in and see what you have there. But if they were interested in a running back at 30, that does not prohibit you from doing that. If they were to look at things and say, ah, you know what, we're just, we're really not sold on Devin Singletary, if that is the case. Then you I can, think that is the case, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> well, right. So it could be a scenario of, okay, we can hedge a little bit here. You bring in Breda, maybe ATN, Najee Harris, maybe those guys are all gone before the Bills pick at 30. So it's not even an option. Okay, now we have that third running back and we're we're going to go back with what we you know basically had last year, the two-headed monster of, of Moss and Singletary. If it is a scenario where they decide, hey, you know what? Harris or Etienne is our guy. He's there at 30. We can make that pick. Maybe it's a little bit of a luxury, but you know, and ATN is the one I keep coming back to. More of that home run threat that they do not have on offense right. in any position at this time. All right. If they want to do that, then it maybe it immediately becomes Devin Singletary is shopped for a fourth or fifth round pick. And you see what you can get for him. It reminds me back to when the Bills drafted Sammy Watkins. And then they, you know, soon thereafter, they traded Stevie Johnson to the San Francisco 49ers, I think for a fourth round pick that, you know, you see what you could get for, for a proven enough NFL running back, right? That a contending team can look at it and say, hey, Devin Singletary is not the, the worst back that you can have, but it is an area that the Bills can make an upgrade. And if you bring in someone like Travis Etienne and he's Alvin Kamara to Zach Moss's Mark Ingram, yeah, I mean, it's fun to think about what the offense could look like with him. I think if they were to take a running back, not even at 30, just even early in the draft, I think that could spell the end for Devin Singletary. Ideally, I think right now, as things stand, and this is purely speculation, if not flat out guessing on my end, but I get the sense anyway, that if they don't, Brandon Bean is sold us on that he likes his running backs right now. Maybe he's being completely truthful. Maybe he's not. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out in mid-April or late April, I should say. I think as things stand right now, I could see a combination with Moss being the 1A and Breida being the change of pace. Lightning kind of guy. 
And I could see Devin Singletary being becoming TJ Yeldon of the last two years. I don't I don't know what it is about Devin Singletary. Like he's elusive in short spaces, but he just doesn't seem to have any other traits to me that jump off the charts at all. I don't think he's a very good pass blocker. I think he's got inconsistent hands. I think that drop in, against Kansas City in the AFC East, uh, or in the AFC Championship game, I think that's going to come back to haunt him. I really do, man. I'd like to see the Bills. If Travis Etienne's there, and sorry, Bruce, but if Travis <laughs> Etienne is there, I'm all over that. I don't really care who they have on this roster. I agree that Matt Breida is not going to prohibit the Bills from taking a running back at 30. I just think it's going to make it far less likely, but I don't think that's going to... Um, I don't think it's going to exclude him from doing it. Before I let you go, let me ask you this. So the Bills, for the most part, are done. And by the way, all these names we mentioned, with the exception of Emmanuel Sanders and John Brown flipping, these are pretty much depth signings, you know? Uh, I don't want to say bench players. I hate saying the word bench players because these guys all are contributors and they have roles. But kind of just like Tampa Bay is literally running it back with their entire team from last year right now, essentially the Bills are doing the same because, again, Emmanuel Sanders is the only significant uh, change at starter anyway. Is there anything left that you'd like to see this team do via free agency or for all the positive things that we're talking about? Is there anything that you think they missed on that you would have liked to see them do differently? The only thing I could come up with is I really wanted to get a better or more proven, I should say, veteran defensive end than uh, F.A. Obata personally, but that's just my take. What What are you thinking? I think there's two options that are out there. One is the more obvious is cornerback two. And does someone like a Richard Sherman say, listen, I want to go play for a contender. He's still sitting out there in free agency. Even a Steven Nelson, who was finally released by the Steelers last week, and just say, listen, let me come in on one year, $4 million, give me some incentives on top of it, and let me be that upgrade at cornerback two for you. If that's even something the Bills would would consider. I think that's an interesting option because there's some of those names that are still sitting out there. And we've seen in the past where Brandon Bean has brought in that veteran cornerback. The one that no one is talking about enough, I shouldn't say no one, but I just think it's a bit underrated, is the defensive tackle position. You mentioned before that, you know, they cut Quentin Jefferson, who was somewhat playing out of position back in 2020. Uh, you've got Butler who many will say was playing out of position in 2020, right? Ending up playing more one technique than three technique, and that's where he was more successful. Star Latulale is coming back. That has been reported, but been out of football for a year. Now, listen, we've seen guys out of football in the past because of injuries, and they come back, and it's they're able to play themselves back into form. So I don't want to make it sound that, you know, because he's been out a year that he's been sitting on the couch doing absolutely nothing. But that will remain to be seen. And then your other defensive tackles, you've got Harrison Phillips, who was coming off an injury in 2020, but the final year of his rookie contract, and it doesn't seem that because of the injuries and other factors, hasn't really lived up to expectations. And then you have Justin Zimmer, who became a quick fan favorite last year with some great hustle plays, um, but a former Division II player off the practice squad. Um, surely you know, not someone that you're looking at and saying, oh, well, he, you know, write his name in with Penn that he should be back with the team this year. So, you know, would the Bills look to do something at defensive tackle to get some more stability? You think of someone like a Geno Atkins, who we've always talked about before, uh, no longer with the Bengals, Kwan Short, who used to play 
with the Carolina Panthers. So, of course, that's an interesting name that pops up. But they they haven't done a lot with that position. Ed Oliver is certainly – I don't even want to call him a wild card because I think when you talk about guys like him, Dawson Knox, Singletary especially, Cody Ford in that mix as well, all the guys in that 2019 class, you know, they're entering the third year. And that third year is really, not to call it a make or break, I always think that's a little bit too drastic of a term, but where you're really going to get a sense of, are these guys that you're going to look to give a contract extension to or pick up the fifth year option in his case, you know, can you be a little patient and see what you get from these guys? So it's a really long answer, but what I'm trying to say is defensive tackle is a sneaky need for the team because we all talk about cornerback and defensive end. I can argue that that is an area where you can get an upgrade because if Latulule doesn't come back to form or Harrison Phillips does not take another step, Butler's a guy we all thought they might cut. Justin Zimmer's a former practice squad guy, and we're looking to see Ed Oliver take that next step. That's what you have at defensive tackle right now. So I'd love to see them add some depth there, and there's certainly some veterans still on the market. I'll tell you what, Anthony, that's a really, really good, solid point. One other thing I wanted to point out quickly that I like what the Bills have done this offseason too is kind of prioritize things. They didn't have to. I was so the downside of signing more guys out there that we craved for, you know, before free agency started, we were talking about some of the tight ends and a a couple of these defensive ends that we would have loved to have seen in Buffalo, maybe a corner or two. But that would have required moving a lot of money around, a lot of restructuring, pushing back money to, to future years. The only significant thing they've had to do so far is move Trey White. They converted his salary um, for this year into a signing bonus so they could spread that out. Besides that, they really haven't done much because I think the biggest priority, I think at the end of the day right now, Brandon Bean's probably, if something falls into his lap or something comes at the right price, I, I think he'll jump. But right now he's probably more locked into the draft. And also the biggest priorities coming up are his own guys. Just like this year with Milano and Williams. I mean, you're talking Josh Allen extension. You're talking a Stefan Diggs extension and possibly Tremaine Edmonds as well. So I, they're, I like what they're doing in terms of team building. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. As, as things stand right now, let's just, for the sake of fun, assume that the Bills make no moves of significance between now and the draft. It's way too early to even speculate on players. And also, let me preface this. Just because the Bills don't take a guy with the 30th pick doesn't mean they're not going to address that position adequately in rounds two or three or four. We've seen last year, Gabe Davis was a fourth round pick and look what he turned out to be as a rookie. So it's not first round's not the end all be all. But right now, if general manager Anthony Marino is on the clock and the Bills are picking 30, if you didn't trade up, you didn't trade down, you haven't added anybody else, don't name me a player because it's probably way too early for that. What position are you going to attack right now with this 30th pick as things stand right now? If I am going to attack a position with pick 30, I'm going to go with defensive end. And as much as I've been on record of saying, I would love to see Travis Etienne play in Buffalo, right? That's just me, the fanboy, adding a a new toy to the offense and seeing what it looks like, right? That, That I would love to see. Cornerback, I think there's enough depth that they can do something in the second and third round. But when it comes to defensive end, it, it gets more and more difficult the longer that you wait. And I do think there's enough guys that could be there at 30 
that have a little bit of question marks. Maybe, you know, they opted out during 2020, or maybe they've got a history of some injuries, or maybe they're a little bit undersized. But, you know, you can get one of those guys that is a, a high-end performer. I have to look at that that defensive line and defensive end is the one that stands out to me because I think that's where I don't want to say you have the the greatest impact, but Mario Addison is done probably after this season. Jerry Hughes, it's the last year of his contract, certainly still playing at a good level, but you have to start planning for life after Jerry Hughes. AJ Epinesa, if he continues to progress, that could be great. But you know, who can be that guy that you can have opposite of him? That's the area that I would look at if I'm trying to be somewhat smart and, and, you know, and as you said, attacking it at pick 30, because I think the longer you wait when it comes to defensive end, then, I mean, you're really talking more, more lottery ticket type of picks and and hoping that you catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And I want to make sure I frame the question properly because I'm sure Anthony feels the same way. If the top four defensive ends are gone and you're looking at DE five, as opposed to a corner that you really like at 30, or even a, maybe a defensive tackle that you really like at that position, or an interior offensive lineman, you would take that too. But again, if all things were equal and you can upgrade one position to the draft, I agree. I think it would be defensive end too. Addison's 34, Hughes is 33. There's a good chance neither of them are with the Bills after the season. So yeah, anyway, really good stuff. And that'll do it for this bonus episode of Talk About Flow podcast. Thank you all for listening. And of course, thank you very much, Anthony Marino, Buffalo Rumblies. Check out the podcast, check out the blog, check out the stuff that got going on on YouTube because it's a lot of fun. I've done a couple of those shows recently. I've been out with Joe. I've been out with Jay Spence. Love those dudes. Obviously, Bruce Nolan's my guy. You are as well. Follow him on Twitter, by the way, Anthony Marino. Thanks a lot for doing the show, buddy. I always love having you on. No, it's always a pleasure. It's great to catch up and here we are a month away from the draft. So it's a, it's still a fun fun time to be talking about the Bills, and, and I certainly enjoy it, but it's always great to catch up with you, man. 